to We Heart Therapy. You're watching this series, EFT Talk for Therapists. I'm your host, Annabelle Bugatti, licensed marriage and family therapist and certified emotionally focused therapist here in Las Vegas, Nevada. We have a very exciting guest today. Her name is Dr. Leanne Campbell. She is the co-director of the Vancouver Island for Center for Emotionally Focused Therapy. She's also a registered psychologist and she is a trainer for EFT. And she's been with EFT and Dr. Sue for almost since the inception of it. And so she is really exciting guest that we're going to have today. And we're going to talk about how to repair attachment injuries within emotionally focused therapy. If you are a seasoned EFT therapist, you probably recognize it by its acronym AIRM, um, Attachment Injury Repair Model. And Dr. Leanne Campbell is going to talk to us about that today. Thank you so much, Leanne, for being with us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit more about um, what attachment injuries are, how we kind of conceptualize those in EFT, and what the attachment injury repair model is. Okay, sure. Uh, so as um, those of you who are listening likely know, and there's been lots written about it, an attachment injury is considered a crisis of trust or a betrayal of significance in the relationship. So for example, you weren't there for me when our baby was born, where were you? I was alone. Or it could be infidelity, of course, which is a common one. And one that in my experience, people want to learn lots about because it happens frequently. And it's so great to know that people really can come through the other side of that. And often in a way that leaves their relationship bond even stronger than ever, which is hard to believe, of course, for couples at the outset of therapy, but certainly we've um, witnessed it many, many times and the research literature supports it as well. So it sounds like attachment injuries basically are some kind of injury or a small relational trauma, or it could be a big relational trauma, some kind of hurt to the bond and like you said it could be small like you know you weren't there for me at this time when I really needed you and that's kind of created this scar or this wound emotionally in the relationship and oftentimes you'll see it because you'll notice the partner will bring it up remember that one time <laughs> you know or they could be big traumas like you cheated on me or you betrayed me in some other way and so we have a very specific procedure within EFT so can you explain maybe why we use the attachment injury repair model versus just, you know, repair it within, because the AR, AIRM is within EFT. It's not something that's outside of it, but why is it that we created a special model just for repairing attachment injuries within EFT? Right. Um, I, th I think it comes from, uh, you know, Sue has always observed her tapes and the tapes of others, and it comes from, observations initially, likely, and then some empirical work to examine it more carefully. But essentially, um, what we know is that people are not going to be able to move through stage two if there's an unresolved attachment injury. So it's a model within the model, essentially. Right. And just to pick up on what you were saying a few moments ago about small versus big, um, I think that's really important point to speak about a little bit more. The, the nature of the attachment injury is one variable that impacts process, 
but also, of course, we all come into relationships with a, a history that predates the relationship, as well as, in some cases, a long history within the relationship where there may have been one or more attachment injuries. Mm -hmm. So, for example, an abandonment um, for someone who has a childhood history of abandonment or a childhood history of trauma is going to land differently than an abandonment for someone who has had a secure attachment history in their childhood and in most of the relationship. Mm -hmm. So that, that's a really important consideration that impacts pacing in the process and how we might um, work with the couple. And uh, again, as always, a strong and thorough assessment at the outset of therapy really helps guide us in terms of what our roadmap will be, um, will look like throughout the therapeutic process. Though sometimes you don't know that there's an attachment injury because some clients kind of hold on to it until they build a really strong rapport with you. And then sometimes it comes out a little bit later and you're like, why didn't you tell me that before? <laughs> you know, or what was this in the assessment? Because sometimes you can't collect everything. There's such a big, you know, diverse amount of experiences that a person goes through. But usually, you know, they'll be able to say, yes, there was an affair, there was something in the relationship. But it sounds like with the AIRM, it's really like, okay, for this, maybe this session or a couple sessions, however long we need to, you know, work on the attachment injury, it sounds like we're going to kind of take a pause from working on the general cycle of the relationship and focus specifically on this hurt that's causing so much pain so that we can get back to healing the dynamic, the cycle within the couple. Am I getting that right? Yes. And I think just to um, back up for a moment again, and uh, with regard to assessment, usually people will oftentimes, especially with infidelity, people will come in screaming and it's, it's yeah. loud and clear what has brought them to yes. therapy. And um, I think what I was referring to is that the impact of that attachment injury will vary to some degree based on the person's um, personal and relationship history. Right, because usually you'll have one partner who's like, I just don't get why it was such a big deal. And the other yeah. partner is like, this was a huge deal for me. So we got to take into, it sounds like what you're saying is we really need to factor in how big of a wound or how, how much pain or distress that's causing on the partners in the relationship. Right, and in stage one of the therapeutic process, we wanna weave that into the cycle mm -hmm. and um, provide it um, with some context, both in terms of their relationship and as relevant in terms of their personal history. So for example, I hear you, I get it. When he wasn't there for you, when your baby was born and you felt alone and scared and things were going wrong in the hospital, uh, that, 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 um, that, that was even more difficult and more impactful given your history as a little girl that when your dad disappeared on you that that brought up all of that old hurt around abandonment and for him it's hard for him to hear that because he you know probably the bracket is he feels terrible he feels guilty he has all this shame so initially at the outset of therapy they're both protecting themselves because the security of the bond has been um you know, impacted not just by that potentially, but by a long-standing cycle of distress that we're all familiar with in EFT. So the attachment injury repair model is used primarily in stage one, or would you use it in stage two also? 
Yeah, that's a good question. So in stage one, we want to acknowledge the attachment injury. We want to weave it into the cycle. We want to name it. We want to validate both partners. And then we want to create some safety. We want to move toward de-escalation and, and um, we want to bring forward some of the primary emotion, not just connected to the attachment injury, but to each individual's positions in the cycle more generally. And then it's then when there's de-escalation and we're moving toward stage two, that there is the safety and space to more explicitly address the attachment injury. And that's when we move to the attachment injury resolution model. So if someone is kind of new to EFT and they've never used the attachment injury repair model, but they have a couple coming in and they know that they're wrought with attachment injuries, how would they kind of start um, with the couple letting them know, okay, we're going to focus on this injury today? And um, so for me, a really helpful tool is to provide a, a summary at the outset of therapy. So I do lots of lives in our training. So I'll begin by um, painting a picture of the process and summarizing the process to date. So as a clinician, you can th talk about how when they came into therapy, this was really raw. It's still raw, but they um, have a better understanding of what happened, how they got there, that um, you know things were great at the outset of their relationship. They had fun together, and then they had kids, and they got busy with children and with their careers, and, and distance um, eroded the relationship. And then he went away and worked. This is just an example, of course, right? And he went away and worked, and, um, and he, um, his, his intent was to take care of the family and to provide, but, but what happened is he, he had this affair. And, and what I hear you both saying is that you get how you got there, but, but it's still there. It still hurts. There are still triggers in their relationship that impact you. And, um, and, and here we would be talking to the injured partner. And, and, and the, there's still lots of pain around that. So, so do you feel like this is a good time? Maybe we can try to focus on that and work on that. And then the first thing we're going to do is go to the injured partner. And we're going to ask her to share from a place of vulnerability, which will be much easier now mm -hmm. um, that we've... Um, being able to de-escalate. Mm -hmm. And sometimes going into a scene, for example, in that hospital room, if you can put yourself back there, do you remember what it was like? What do you hear? What do you see? What do you feel? Try to engage all of her senses and share with him the feeling of aloneness that she felt, the feeling of vulnerability that she felt. And then do what we always do with um, the tango and choreograph an enactment and, and have her share that with him from a place of vulnerability. And our goal is for him to meet her in that and, and for him to be able to um, connect with her from a place of compassion. But a common sequelae associated with that is that for him, it's, it's going to be hard because he might feel shame and guilt. And if she it shares with him and then he goes into this place of sort of um, self-loathing or guilt, again, she's alone because what we know with shame is that it, people hide and, and, and she's going to feel like she's bouncing off his shame. So then we need to address that either by validating it and again, personal and relationship variables are going to impact 
the level of shame that he exhibits. So sometimes we can ask him to set it aside, which I think you observed mm -hmm. with the couple that I worked with and showed the tape of at the summit. And, and other times the shame is more, um, it is deeper and it's harder for the individual to do that. But in so any case, you do, if you do encounter um, a client whose shame is really just consuming them to where they're having a hard time sitting with it, how, what would you do in that moment? Well, if we think about the process, we, we need to, um, the, the process is, is that she needs to share her hurt from a place of vulnerability and he needs to meet her in it. So as we always um, convey in EFT, if there's a barrier to that step for him, then we need to face it directly and work through it directly. So sometimes the attachment injury repair model takes more than one session. And often that is um, the barrier that uh, prevents us from moving through it more fluidly and smoothly within a session. So, so we would need to address it. So if his shame or so the partner's shame comes up and it's really powerful and they're having a hard time sitting with it and it seems to be a block, would you just acknowledge, you know, this is so powerful, this is really holding you back from being able to stay with your partner? Would you go into the shame or would you kind of touch it but then go back to her so that she's not left alone? Yeah, that's a nice question. I think it, it, it depends. It depends how much of a barrier the shame is because but we don't want her to be sitting alone of course and again a thorough assessment at the outset of therapy and all the work you've done um up to that point will help guide you um so presumably you're not going to go too far into her the depths of her um hurt if you know that you're going to have multiple layers of shame to work through for him Mm -hmm. So assuming that that's the case, sometimes you can just um, sort of name it, validate it, and then, and then invite him to meet her in her hurt. And it's there that she can feel heard and understood and a, a corrective emotional experience. It's like he gets a second chance to be there in the hospital with her again. So it's like you acknowledge the shame, but then you kind of invite him, you, you pull, bring him back into her place of hurt so that he can join her in that place. Exactly, exactly. And, and once that happens, um, you know, then you're going to explicitly hear from her about how that lands for her. Again, you'll process the enactment like we always do with regard to the tango. And if she says she feels heard and understood, and, and then you can be explicit. Again, this is a process that unfolds, so you'll do what feels right in the moment, but you might ask her, um, do you hear his story? Do you forgive him? So that you can anchor yourself in, in the process to know where you are. If she says, yes, I, I feel heard, I feel understood, I forgive him, I can feel his authenticity, then, then you want to celebrate that and acknowledge that but then you also you don't want to leave him without having addressed his shame so then you'll bring it back and you'll 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 talk to him about what that was like for him right. to be in that moment and often he'll then 
be able to process the shame and the guilt and that, you know, he didn't know what to do. He was scared also. They were worried about their baby, whatever the case may be. And, and oftentimes what will ensue from that is a process of him healing. Exactly. Him healing. And then again, you may or may not be explicit and ask him about his own self-forgiveness. Yeah. And, and that's a time when oftentimes people will then move very naturally into grief. Uh, and, and when we think about an attachment injury, that impacts model of self. He doesn't want to see himself as somebody who's disappointed his partner. Impacts model of other. She didn't want to perceive him as somebody that couldn't be there for her in a time of need. And it, of course, impacts the view of the relationship. So part of what they need to do in the healing also is to grieve that. To grieve that moment in time, that special time when they were sharing the birth of their baby but lost one another during a time of need. So that they can then integrate that narrative into their relationship in a way that allows them to move forward from it rather than get stuck in it as they've done. I really love that element of grief that you put into it. To me, that was kind of life-changing. It was like this huge light bulb went off because, you know, especially when it comes to infidelity, you find that, again, it's a roller coaster. Some days the partner may feel so confident, like, yes, I think I can get over this. I think I can forgive. And then a day or two later, they're plummeted back into the depths of despair. And, yeah. you know, they want to go checking and stuff. And so I feel like with the element of grief, and, and this is what I also share with my clients, is that remember, they call it a grief, a grieving process. It's not a grief event where it's like, okay, sorry. And then we move on and we're done grieving it. We know that it takes time. And so it kind of normalizes that roller coaster that they get on and it helps their partner to understand, you know, that yes, it's normal for these spurts to come up. And I, I feel like helping them with that, you know, and to kind of take our work around healing the attachment injury and to be able to hold that space at home during those moments helps them grieve that moment, which will help them get through it and continue to move on. Because again, when you find those couples like, oh, I should be over it by now, you know, they're dismissing their own grief. And by sharing it as a part of grief, it gives them permission to go through that to, because we know when you hold on to it, it makes it worse, you know, so then their partner can be with them and it just keeps strengthening and alleviating itself. What do you think about that? Um. Yeah, I think that to name the grief is helpful. And, you know, we're not watching a video, but the, the, it, when people begin to grieve, the sadness that you feel and hear and sense in the room is qualitatively distinct mm -hmm. from, it, it's, it feels more physical, it's, it's deeper. And then if you name it, I think that helps the couple to then um, align mm -hmm. it together in, in this lost part of their relationship mm -hmm. or in, in the loss that they both experienced. Mm -hmm. And from there, they can move on and, and rebuild. Yeah, because it really, sometimes I think we tend to think that the betrayed partner is the only one that needs to grieve, but it's also the partner who did the betraying because, you know, as you 
so eloquently put, you know, there's a lot of shame. So they've got to grieve that part where they perhaps fell away from themselves, fell away from their values, you mm. know, and That's their perfect. commitment to the relationship. And again, framing it as a grieving process normalizes those feelings that they go through outside of the office where there's ups and downs and allows them to be there together and heal rather than we get caught in this place where we dismiss, even though we've had this moment where we said, we're sorry, I get that you're sorry, you know, but it still doesn't change that. It's still hard for me, you know, I'm still getting over it, you know, so it normalizes that whole process and it's just amazing, I think so. <laughs> yeah, that was really beautifully said, Annabelle. I love the way you said that, grieving that part of themselves mm -hmm. um, and also that, 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 period in their relationship history. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So you offer training around attachment injury repair and you also do some training for trauma. So can you tell us a little bit more about where folks can find you if they want to schedule a training and what kinds of trainings you have available? Sure. Well, I have lots of trauma trainings coming up and, um, and I don't have any attachment injury uh, repair model trainings coming up, but I would be happy to provide them. We, the next trauma training is with Catherine Ream in Washington, DC, and looking forward to that in May, and then possibly following that in Chicago in April, and Toronto in October, and I'll be in Poland in August, and in Prince Edward Island, which is the other coast of our country. And oh, love, Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> Sorry? Anne of Green Gables. Yeah, that's right, exactly, Anne of Green Gables. Mm -hmm. And of course there's, um, you know, I want to acknowledge my wonderful colleagues and other trainers and clinicians. Uh, Lori Brubaker has a beautiful, um, you probably are familiar with it on the ISEF mm -hmm. website, a model for helping people to learn more about attachment injury. Jim Furrow and Lisa Palmer Olson do lots of trainings and mm -hmm. of course Sue, and there's lots of great research and articles and the mm -hmm. EFT casebook has a nice um, mm -hmm. article in it by one of the initial um, clinicians and researchers, um, Judy Mackinnon, who um, wrote the chapter along with, uh, let me see, um, Lori Ediger. So, and to answer your question uh, more the, in terms of people can go to our website, the um, Vancouver Island Center for EFT, if they want to learn more about us. Is that and, .com, .org? Yes. Oh, it's .com. .com. And uh, yeah, and I'm working with Dr. David Fairweather, who is a brilliant uh, process analysis mm -hmm. um, clinician, and he and the, the two of us are working to develop some training tapes in the area of trauma in particular. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. So they can go to the Vancouver Island Center for EFT.com is yes. the website where they can find information about you and your colleagues and contact you through the website if they're interested in scheduling you for training in their area or attending one of your trainings. Sure. Excellent. And we're gonna put a link to that in the description for this video. Thank you again so much, Leanne, for your time and for your expertise and all of the work that you do in the EFT community and just for being a part of our show. Uh, thank you, Annabelle, for all the beautiful work that you do. I've loved your program and it's such a great initiative. So helpful. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of our viewers who keep watching. Make sure that you subscribe because we have more exciting interviews on the way. <laughs> That's great.